I was like, hold on, everything has changed so much in China from 2011 to 2017, and how does this island so close to Shanghai stay almost the same? Welcome to Mosaic of China, a podcast about people who are making their mark in China. I'm your host, Oscar Fuchs. As someone who in general has a go-with-the-flow and see-where-life-takes-me attitude, I'm always intrigued by serious people with serious plans. Today's guest has a long-term vision for his life, and it's a path that has led him to a unique place which he describes very vividly in today's episode. At 30 years old, Douglin is also one of the youngest guests in Season 2, so if you're also young and thinking about how to go about making your mark in China, you in particular should find this one of interest. And finally, Douglin speaks excellent Chinese, but with a local pronunciation. So listen out for that if you're anywhere outside of the area around Zhejiang province. Thank you for coming, Douglin. I'm here with Douglin C. Douglin, you are a friend of Octo's. That's who introduced you. So let me play you the introduction that Octo said about you from the last series. I'm recommending a very good guy called Douglin. And he's from a very interesting family. He's doing a very cool business is a small island next to Shanghai. Yeah, that was Octo. So first of all, tell me, how do you know Octo? She designed my suit and my wife's dress at our wedding through the kind introduction from my father. Well, there you go. And she said that you come from an interesting family. I'm sure we will discuss that as part of our discussion today. Yeah. But before we do that, the first thing I would ask anyone in that chair is, what object did you bring that in some way represents your life in China? Uh, I brought a very humble rock from Sinsa Island. This rock is something that we try to incorporate in our design for our shops on Sinsa Island. And uh, we try to use as much local stuff as possible. And so local fishermen would use these rocks to weigh down the nets when they go fishing. Right. So it's, it's really cool and it's very durable. <laughs> And I usually give this as a gift to all of my friends who visit me on Census Island. Excellent. Oh, as a gift? So what, what do they use it so for? Ideally, I tell them to use it as a candle holder. So this rock is for you. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, thank you so much. Wait, so this rock here has been at the bottom of the ocean, has it? Yes. What they do is they would go out to sea and uh, depending on the seasons, they would fish for different things, uh, from fishes to crabs to uh, shrimps. The entire island for the past couple hundred years is based off a fishing economy until recently, after they made transportation more convenient, uh, tourism started to boom. Okay. Well, first of all then, describe to me, where is this island? Since the island is around 60, 70 kilometers south of Shanghai, and right now it's uh, an hour and a half away ferry ride to the port and a 50-minute to an hour-and-a-half boat ride, depending on a slow boat or a fast boat. The boom in tourism really started around the 1990s after they built that bridge to that huge port called Xiaoyangshan. Right, that place which is still within Shanghai, but it is in the middle of the sea, right? Exactly. So this port, how far is it from the mainland of Shanghai? Something like 30 kilometers away. Uh, if you drive... Under the speed limit, it takes around 30 minutes to cross that bridge. That's one big bridge. Yeah. <laughs> the Donghai Bridge. It's not very famous. Uh, the one that goes across Hangzhou is more famous uh, to most people. Yes. And people drive through that bridge all the time. Yes. Yeah. 
Whereas this bridge, I guess, because it just goes to a port, it's mainly for the port traffic. Yeah. Yeah. Here you are. You've got this American accent. I'm assuming that you're American. Yeah, I'm from Boston. After going to college in Hong Kong University, I worked in Shanghai for 10 years and was mostly restaurant business. I was trying to find a place to build my career and trying to find a place in China that was uh, slow enough and not developing a crazy China speed where I could compete. Mm. Uh, And so I did some exploration around Shanghai, basically drawing a three-hour radius and discovered Sinsu. Okay, so when you first went there, what year was that? 2011. Well, that was just out of tourism purposes because I was really bored and I didn't have many friends. <laughs> <laughs> right. And why did you choose Shengse just randomly? It was a Smart Shanghai article. All right. Uh, they did a piece about the graffiti walls in one of the villages. And I went there in the dead of winter. Didn't do much because most of the things were closed. Saw the graffiti walls and went back to Shanghai the next day. Oh, that was it? Yeah, it was a very short trip. <laughs> <laughs> there probably wasn't very much on the island anyway at that point. No, it wasn't. And it was really dirty at that time. Literally just people setting up shop on the street and selling things. Uh, who knows if it was actually clean or safe. Interesting. And so it was this neglected piece of China, which, you know, it, w- it wasn't on the radar for anyone at that point. Yeah, and in many ways it still isn't on the radar for many people. Yeah. So when I think of Census Island, I think I've found a place where nothing has been touched, which is really rare. Big companies have not touched it. I'm the only expat who lives there. So English teachers have not touched it yet. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wait a minute. You're the only non-Chinese person. Yes. Okay. And how many people live on the island altogether? Uh, 40,000 on the main island. Okay. Yeah. So I think altogether there's five main islands for since archipelago. And there's a whole bunch of smaller islands that uh, I can't even name. It's not even livable. (laughs) They have docks on these small islands. And it's great for nature photography, hiking, seeing the sunset sunrise, that kind of thing. But no one lives there. Well, then talk me through what happened. So you went there to see the graffiti, and then now you live on the island. So what happened in the interim? So I thought I was going through my farewell party for Shanghai, do a whole China tour with my wife, and then to decide what would be the next phase of our work lives and also our lives together. So I I proposed to her like, oh, I know these really cool islands south of Shanghai. Uh, It would be cool just to check it out and make it part of our road trip. So 2017, we took the ferry there. Everything almost looks like the same. And that was a problem. (laughs) I was like, hold on. Everything has changed so much in China from 2011 to 2017. And how does this island so close to Shanghai stay almost the same? And that was where I felt I could develop my career. So that was a short road trip. (laughs) Oh, so you didn't even carry on. It was just screaming opportunity. So we just seized it. We really wanted to do domestic tourism. What we were banking on was domestic tourism will keep going up regardless of China's economy. Because if it goes up, there's around another seven, eight hundred million middle class people that will become realized and they're going to be traveling all around. And if, if there is a bad economy, then it's just less international tourism. A lot more wealthier Chinese would just have to find other options. And since the island being so close to Shanghai, we just felt that it will always do well. So could it have been any island, or was it something about this specific island? Well, we chose since the island versus the other islands because it wasn't too influenced by tourism. So we, we knew that we needed to have the local patronage in order to survive the down season. It's really hard to get quality staff that just leave after six months. 
uh, and just the momentum of the business. Because we're in the restaurant business to constant damn ping reviews. If we don't get constant damn ping reviews, then we just start heading down south. And just to explain, what is a damn ping review? Uh, on an international level, it's kind of like TripAdvisor. So it's very crucial to our business, and they've basically taken over. <laughs> it still matters on an island where you have much more of a smaller catchment? Oh, it's even more so. Yeah, because when you ask advice from locals on the island, I would say 100% the taxi driver or the, the guest house owner gets a kickback, something like 20%. That's a specific island kind of mentality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what other island-specific mentality do you bump into? Their low self-esteem. Oh, right. Yeah. They don't think that they can do things because they're from Sinsa Island. Uh, they always look up to big cities like Hangzhou and Ningbo and Shanghai and Beijing. Everything that I've opened from a dessert shop to a Japanese restaurant to a pizza shop, it's always been received with negativity. Like uh, it, it won't work here. Yeah, saying like, oh, it's too small. It's only 40,000 people. Or the fishermen will never be able to welcome this into their lives. But the population has never been a big issue for me because I come from a small town. <laughs> oh, where do you come from? A small town called Milton, Massachusetts, and the population is like 30,000. So if I can see things that work in Milton, I'm pretty sure it'll work on the island that has a stronger domestic tourism because no one's going to Milton for fun. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies to anyone who lives in Milton. <laughs> How do you counter that? You just prove it. And once they see that they're just business, they basically just shut up. <laughs> Well, then what is the business? Explain how your business works. So when we came to Sinsa Island, we were targeting the locals and we we're targeting all the B&Bs that were opened. So there's around 987 B&Bs. And our job was to supply them more desserts, better alcohol to serve their customers and improve the overall experience. So basically, our job was to help the B&Bs make more money. And B&B, of course, is bed and breakfast. Yeah, yeah. So there aren't any really big hotels, or there are, but you don't target them. Uh, they are, but they're self-sustainable. Right, okay. And then we started opening more shops near the dessert shop, what my company's called is the micro-district. The micro-district. Yeah, okay. uh, my wife and I opened that company, and it's the idea of having a condensed street of things to do. <laughs> oh, I see. So these things, they're not just in the same company. They're actually physically in the same geography. They're in the same location. Yeah, yeah. So uh, going to school in Hong Kong, I've always been fascinated by how much they could just fit things into small spaces. <laughs> right. And it's always those kind of places where I want to be in. And I wanted to recreate that. That's kind of my artistic expression. So whereabouts is this? In the main part of the town? or? Yeah, it's, it's uh, downtown right beneath a whole bunch of apartment complexes. Unfortunately, it's not by the beach. In order to get more of the local customers, we had to be close to where they live. And eventually, maybe 2022, we'll start having more shops by the beach. Right. Got it. And the beach is the main draw for Shengse in terms of the tourism, right? It is. There's, there's basically a few narratives of tourists. There's people who want to take photos. There are people who have never seen the ocean. And there's people who really love seafood. So those are the three main groups of tourists on Sunset Island. Interesting. So when you go there, it's not just beachgoers, it's people who are also crowding around the seafood restaurants. Yeah, exactly. So something that I always talk to people who live in Shanghai is, you sure don't eat a lot of seafood. <laughs> yeah. And your most famous seafood-ish dish is a crab that comes from a lake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why is that? We're here on the coast, after all. 
I think it's because Shanghai developed rather late, and so they never had a chance to develop its fishing economy. Okay. Yeah. And so you mentioned Shanghai. You lived here for was it ten years? Yeah, pretty much ten years. Right. Yeah. So here we are. We are doing this recording on one of your trips to Shanghai. When you're in town, do you realize what you miss, or do you not miss it very much at all? I miss the idea of it, but once I'm in the thick of things, I don't really miss it. <laughs> First thing is pollution, and then there's the traffic. Those two combined is already really bad. <laughs> when I think of my peers, or when I think of big companies that invest in Shanghai, I think people who spend that amount of money isn't really there to make money. Because <laughs>、oh. Shanghai is more of a platform for marketing and to meet people. But if you really want to be in China, make money. You'd probably be anywhere but Shanghai. <laughs> That's a good point, isn't it? Because a lot of the things that you see in Shanghai, I I do wonder how does it make money. It's always expensive, glitzy, showy, and then you go to a mall next door and it's the same glitzy, <laughs> expensive, showy, and you do wonder who is making money here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, did you have any experience of trying something in Shanghai first, or did you know from the start that it wasn't for you?、Uh, my passion is farming, so I was working on Tomi Island for a while, volunteering. Then I was、uh, doing some vertical farm projects with Tongji University. Wherever I kept going, there's always just some type of issues where Shanghai just doesn't seem very possible or it's not very profitable. Long term wise, if I had to start a project on Sinsan, I would really like to start a farm. I really believe in agrotourism. When I was 16 years old, I googled jobs that will still exist in the future, because <laughs>、right. I had no direction. And they said, "Oh, agriculture will still be around by like 2050." So I was like super invested, and I really like agriculture. I was like, yeah, I think I can do this for a living. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can see how that thought would have also brought you to the island too, because, like you said, you're trying to go for domestic tourists, and if everything else closes down, which is like what happened with COVID, then there are still presumably domestic tourists who would still go to an island, right? That's kind of future-proofing your business. Yeah. So COVID actually kind of proved my point. But the problem was I wasn't ready for COVID,、right. so it's actually accelerated the speed of my business faster than I wanted to. It's done a lot of early marketing、uh, for Sinsa Island. All of a sudden, there's a lot more foreign tourists who have、uh, come to Sinsa Island, and a lot of people who have never heard of it are now starting to hear about it. So I think next year there'll be an even bigger boom. But the problem is Sinsa Island needs to be able to manage expectations. Yes, because while you say that it has potential, I get the feeling that it's not there yet, right? No, and to be fair, since the island has not marketed itself that much, so this is not some attention that they've brought upon themselves. It's just the power of social media, and a bunch of bored tourists on Shanghai are finding <laughs> things to do for the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So that actually could be a disadvantage because they will come. They will have high expectations, which will not be met. Yeah, and this is kind of like a rare opportunity. If you mess this up,、uh, you're gonna have to wait another hundred years for another COVID. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. So what are you doing then? Are you trying to spread the opposite kind of marketing, saying, "No, no, no, don't come yet." <laughs>、uh, for my friends, yeah, that's what I try to do. Uh, not really recommending the most tourist spots on the island, right? And I'm looking at these weights that you brought, these net weights. Does that mean that there are these picturesque little fishing villages still on the island, or is that all been redeveloped? 
Yeah, they they still exist, and that's the most fascinating thing is that if you look at the entirety of China, there's not that many fishing villages compared to farms,、mm. and the culture of fishing is very strong. They're very superstitious. Right. Every time when they are about to go out to sea, they would have to go to the temple first. So, the whole fishing industry is very interesting.、Uh, it, it's like it hasn't really modernized, and、uh, the younger people don't want to do this job.、Uh, they want to live in the city. So now you get this weird mixture of people from Yunnan, Guizhou, Sichuan, doing fishing jobs, and all the local people who came here 150 years ago are now in the big cities.、Hmm. And they're living quite nice lives because fishermen's they they make、uh, quite a bit of money, especially if you compare them to farmers. That's one of the reasons why the Sinsa economy is so strong. Right. And let's go back then to your life on the island. So you can be a big fish in a small pond, right? Yeah. So the way we chose micro district locations is very similar to how Mao would、uh, spread communism. Mao would spread communism through、uh, villages and towns around big cities. As opposed to going directly to the heart of Shanghai and opening shops, we're targeting areas that have relatively strong local population, and once that cash flow becomes more and more positive, then I'll probably head into the big cities. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Well, I'm not sure many business books would make that leap from Maoism to how to expand your business in China. I think that's the first time I've actually heard of that. Well. <laughs> A lot of Chinese government officials have told me that. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah. maybe they should be more business oriented. Yeah. <laughs> My dad used to say many years ago that if you think that there's no opportunity in China, then you're wrong. Every hour west that you go is five years back.、Mm. You know, one hour west that's five years. Two hours west that's ten years. It's a huge place. So when you see these Western commentaries about no opportunities or it's peaked, come on. Yeah. And you mentioned your father. So, what does your family think about what you're doing? They don't say too much. <laughs>、uh, Do they think you're crazy? Or no, they thought farming was crazy. <laughs> At least this is a little bit closer to home.、Mm. But if you compare it to what my father did, which was representing the Roosevelt family for 30 years, oh right,、um, it's big shoes to fill. And to put that comparison to what I'm doing,、uh, it's maybe not super fair because. I'm not going to be able to represent some presidential family in、oh, China. Oh right, yeah, that's interesting. And is that, do you think, why you have maybe gone a little bit more unconventional than other business people would have? Yeah. So the most unconventional thing I, that kicked off my life was choosing to go to Hong Kong University for college.、Uh, people say you're from Boston.、Uh, it's Chinese people's dreams to go to school in America, and then my American friends would say. What you're going to Asia for school? There's plenty of good schools in the states. How many ABCs do you know would choose to go to that route? Mm, mm.、Uh, and most of my friends stayed at home. The furthest they would go is to the UK.、Mm. Yeah. And then going back to then the question, which was about your family. So are they now fully supportive? No, but I'll just prove it to them like the way I proved to since the residents and the government officials. Yes. <laughs> nice. Thank you so much, Douglas. Thank you, Oscar. <laughs> Now on to part two. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay, question one: What is your favorite China-related fact right now?、Uh, coming from Sinsa Island, one of my favorite facts is that Sinsa used to be part of Shanghai, and、mm. it was after maybe the Cultural Revolution that it became part of Zhejiang. So、okay. 
I think it's been seven or eight times now that Sinsa has applied to be part of Shanghai again, to return to the fold. <laughs> oh, wait. So they are being quite open about wanting to leave Zhejiang province. They apply to Beijing all oh. the time. I've never heard of that. Is that. Can you think of any other examples of where a town has tried to change province? Uh, <laughs> I would assume a town that wants to be part of uh, a city-state, mm. like Chongqing or Tianjin, they probably have more benefits than to be part of a huge province. Right. Yeah. This is a kind of cross-provincial competition that the everyday person wouldn't really be aware of, right? Yeah. Do you have a favorite word or phrase in Chinese? Yeah. My favorite word is yingzhou. Okay. What's that? Yingzhou is kind of a, a business engagement uh, that happens quite often. And I think understanding that culture really uh, progressed my business. What actually is the Hanzi? Oh, ying gai de ying. And yeah. then what's that one? Chou. Ying chou. Oh, it's chou. Okay. Chou, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Ying chou culture is changing a lot. So on Sinsa Island, there's no baijiu culture. There's no huangzhou culture. We're mostly drinking tea. But uh, the dining habits are the same. So I had to cheers everyone with tea or hot water, which is fine. Much easier on the liver. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Thank you. Next question. What is your favorite destination within China? So this is a tricky part because China keeps changing. <laughs> yeah. So right now, my favorite place in China is Disui Lake. Oh, right. That's somewhere in Shanghai, right? Yeah, right in between Sinsa Island and uh, downtown Shanghai. And I rented an apartment there uh, earlier this year because I just, I really like Disui Lake. It's like a mini young version of Shenzhen. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been to Shenzhen, so I've been there once. But what is it? Just full of young people in Disui Lake. Everyone's full of energy and just full of growth potential. So it's going to be like a tech and tax benefit hub. Tesla's around there. Right. Their factory. Right. Yeah. Never been there. So I'm looking forward to I'll checking that out. There. Yeah. <laughs> if you left China, what would you miss the most and what would you miss the least? I'll miss the energy because you can tell that people are still hopeful and optimistic and not jealous and full of hatred. And what will you miss the least? I won't miss the pollution. Is there anything that still surprises you about life in China? And how many years have you actually been now in China? I've been coming here on and off since 93. Mm. Living full-time from university in 2009, so 10 plus years, I guess. And the thing that still surprises me is how Chinese people are able to copycat things and make it into creative products. Mm. Companies that chose to be in tier one cities have not outgrown the market. And people who decide to start their business in tier five cities have now outgrown their market. So now they're fighting for the tier two, three, four cities. And so the foreign companies have to make their products cheaper. Companies that started in tier five cities now have to improve their quality. So across the board, you're going to see a whole bunch of battles. Interesting. And which tier is Shunks Island? <laughs> like a... Tier 8, I guess, just by population size. <laughs> right, you're not even on the radar. Yeah. <laughs> How funny. Where is your favorite place to go out, to eat or drink or hang out? When I just want to relax and chill in Shanghai, I usually go to this corner of Xianxia Road and Anlong Road. Two, three blocks of just heavily populated, like a micro-district of restaurants and bars, uh, mostly Japanese-themed, but the whole vibe of that place is really cool. Nice. Yeah. That's when you're in Shanghai, but you're here less and less, right? Yeah. Maybe next time, my new favorite spot will be somewhere in Disui Lake uh, uh, yeah. to hang out. 
they have a fake nest. Oh, <laughs> people from Nest, you should check it out. <laughs> right. It's yeah. copying the bar and restaurant Nest here in central Shanghai. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think, well, you were just talking about copycats. <laughs> well, maybe Nest could have been there first yeah. at a much cheaper price. Right. Yeah. These copycats is, is almost good market research. <laughs> you don't have to spend the time saying, should we open a Nest there? Someone's already done it for you. <laughs> what is the best or worst purchase you have made in China? Uh, my scooter. Yeah. I literally just go around my scooter looking at sunsets. Nice. Yeah. After this island experience, if I ever choose to go to another place to expand, to do restaurants, first thing I'm going to do is buy a scooter and become an Ulama driver. Because ah. <laughs> right away I know who is ordering what. Yeah, that's... <laughs> and what are the wealthiest neighborhoods. <laughs> it's the best market research by being an Ulama driver. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. What is your favorite WeChat sticker? Okay, it's coming through. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite popular. It's an Elmo behind a flame wall. So it looks like an Elmo from hell. Because sometimes people say things in group chats and I have nothing to say. And this is the only sticker I found that's applicable to anything, whether it's good news or bad news. Because <laughs> you can't tell if he's in torture or if he's celebrating, <laughs> if he's excited or if he's upset. <laughs> So the applicability is very high, <laughs> which means that I use it a lot. <laughs> well, I do have this, and I haven't used it enough because of the ambiguity. I'm like, oh, when do I actually use it? But I should just push through that. Use it at all times. <laughs> what is your go-to song to sing at KTV? I have a go-to song that people want me to sing at KTV. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's a Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World. Oh, you have got quite a deep voice. Is that why? Yeah, but it's it's just because they want to hear me impersonate him. Oh, you can do an impersonation? Yeah. <laughs> so once people get drunk enough, or if I get drunk enough, uh, that song somehow always ends up. <laughs> and it's not, because the, the thing is, the version on the KTV machines isn't even very good. <laughs> it's a crappy song. If you had a choice, what would you like to sing? Probably any Beatles songs, because that's yeah. why I, what I sing when I play guitar. Oh, there you go. And finally, what other China-related media or sources of information do you rely on? Shanghai Daily. Because there's so many sources of media, different opinions. But at least with Shanghai Daily, I know what the government wants to happen. Mm-hmm. And with that, it's easier for me to align my business decisions. Hence, Tisui Lake. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. Douglas, thank you. That was fascinating. Yeah. I can't wait to visit the island. And when I do, I will put a little update on the end of this podcast and I will let people know what I thought of the island. So you and I will meet there. Yeah, looking forward to it, Oscar. Thank you. Thank you. And before you leave, let me ask you, out of everyone you know in China, who would you recommend that I interview for the next season of Mosaic of China? I recommend someone I've known for many years. I went to high school with her, uh, and she started her own company doing gems and diamonds. Nice. What's her name? Her name's Christina Chow. Great. I do not know anything about gems, so I look forward to the education. <laughs> Thank you, Douglas. Thank you. Seeing as today's episode is halfway through the season, let's try to link Douglas with some of the other guests from the show. Firstly, the term ABC, American-born Chinese. That was first explained way back in season one, episode two, with the comedian and gangster's daughter, Maple Zuo. So this is a good excuse to remind you of that one if you haven't listened to it already. It was a doozy. 
Douglan's best purchase was his scooter. That's only the second time that's been mentioned in season two. The other time was by Sean Harmon from the specialty beer company Duvel Mortgat in episode nine. And the other answer which connects Douglan to other episodes was his favorite news source, Shanghai Daily, which is now just known as Shine. The other people who've mentioned that were the solar power entrepreneur Alex Schoer from season two, episode 11, and Sanford Brown, the head of research and development at L'Oreal from season one, episode 29. As regular listeners will know by now, there's also a premium version of this and every other episode from the season on both Patreon internationally and iFadian in China. If you want to hear Douglin's big business idea that involves chickens, be sure to subscribe there. Here are some other clips from today's show. I was stuck with two, three months of food. Well, at least we won't starve to death. Wow. <laughs> the original port that went to these islands was from the Bund. Even when I wasn't leaving the islands, they would want to know where I was going. Chickens can't register spiciness. You're kidding. Yeah. The miso soup that you drink in Japan, part of the product comes from Sensa Island. My title has changed. I'm no longer Xiao Xie. I'm now Xiezo. <laughs> oh. They fill the red wine to the brim. Oh. And then you have to gambay a whole full glass of red wine instead of baijiu. <laughs> oh, man. There's a catch-up right after this with Okto Chung, the fashion designer from Season 1, Episode 30, whom you heard earlier referring Douglin to the podcast. And it was with Okto that I finally did visit Douglin and his wife, Iya, on Shangsa Island a few months ago. To see photos from that trip, as well as to see Douglin's object, the rocks that weigh down those fishing nets, his favourite WeChat sticker of Elmo from Hell, and plenty more besides, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or mosaicofchina.com. Or add the WeChat ID Mosaic of China, and I'll add you to the group there. Mosaic of China is me, Oscar Fuchs, with artwork by Denny Newell. We'll be taking a week off, but we'll be back in a fortnight for a special edition of the show to mark the halfway point of season two. So I'll see you then. It's so nice to see you, Octo. Thank you for coming. I brought you here because I really wanted to have a catch-up. You were yep. the finale of season one, and I was so happy because your story was uh, really great. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> it has a lot of secret insight. It was. It was yes. really insightful. And as you know from our conversation, mm -hmm. I don't know much about fashion. So for me, I had a huge learning curve during our chat. <laughs> so I can help you to dress next time. I might be a lost cause. I, I try to be passionate, but you can see I'm failing. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you, first yep. of all, about your story during coronavirus. Yes. All the shopping mall closed. So that means your shop closed. You don't have any revenue for a few months. And then in China, they recover very fast. And then they, the factories start to open on first week of April, and then they get into the normal production. And now they're even quicker than before. Right. Yes. And there yeah. are countries that are still in very harsh lockdowns, but yeah. things here have really rebounded, haven't they? Yeah. And the sales they are having is double-digit growth. So it's it's quite amazing because some fashion brand. The coronavirus things is still very serious overseas. So now they move all the goods 
sell in China. This right, kind of. they can pull products that otherwise would be sold outside. They can yes. pull it back into China. Yeah, so you can mm. see some fashion brand like Chanel, like MX, the special edition of their product. Normally, they would sell in their own country or in Europe. Now they move to China to sell it, wow. and then they earn a lot. Gosh, I wonder if that's going to be a trend that they're actually going to release in China before their home markets. Yes, yes, the world's changing. Really interesting. Was it also affecting your brand? Because that's what we talked about in our episode. It was your innovative balloon jacket. <laughs> yes. So actually, we are doing very great recently. So that's why I'm very busy. Oh right. <laughs> yeah. So、uh, we had the new addition to become super ultra light. So this jacket, so we first released in Taiwan, and we are very surprised that because we are a kind of travel product, and now people cannot travel overseas. That's what I was worried、yes. about. <laughs> Who's gonna buy a travel jacket, right? <laughs> but go on. Yes, but because people love travel deeply in their blood, even you cannot travel overseas, so they will choose to travel all around their place. Their、right. own country, even Taiwan, which is a、yeah. small island. Yeah, yeah. How interesting.、Yeah. Okay, and you've chosen Taiwan as the first place to launch. I'm guessing you have plans to launch it in the mainland China next. Um, the next one is Japan. Next is Japan. Next is Japan. Actually, for Arugo, we almost put all our product release all over the country around, and then for China, it's the next steps. Because China is very competitive for unknown brand, they didn't know. Right, right. Yes. Whereas I guess a Taiwanese consumer, a Japanese consumer, they are maybe more looking out for a small boutique brand like yours. Yes, yes, you're right. Interesting. You know it's very much, Oscar. Oh well, maybe I'm secretly a fashion guru after all. <laughs> <laughs> so. I am going to be releasing this episode at、mm-hmm. the same time as Douglin, who was the person you referred、oh, for season、right. two. That's very good. And you and I went to his island, right? Yeah. Neither of us had been there. <laughs> so after I did the recording,、yep. you and I went. Yep. Talk to me about that weekend. <laughs> oh my god! So we had a very great time. We rent a motorbike, so we go around all places in in on the island. And then we ate seafood. The thing, the only thing is, when you want to have a dinner、uh, at around eight, so you cannot find any restaurant who can help you. <laughs> yes, it's that kind of mentality, right? This is、yes. what Douglin is saying in his interview. Like it's a work in progress. Yes, you can see the fundamentals are there,、yep. and you can see that they're making progress. Yeah, and I think it's going to get better and better. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a very good time to see a, a place in China like that. So、yes. you can see a lot of commercial opportunity. Yes. Yeah, and、uh, it's a very good for young generation to have their first try in there. Exactly, and then of course I joined you. I didn't stay at the same place, but then we、yeah. had a couple of days together,、um, and it was really nice to reconnect with you there. Yeah, and I should also say that you have reconnected with another of the guests from season one. I learned that you and Astrid. Oh yeah, the, the violinist have become friends. <laughs> yes, we are very good friends. You、so、have the same birthday. <laughs> yes, fourth of April. <laughs> That's lovely. Yes,、yeah, so, so we have the same birthday. So we we are both、uh, enthusiastic. We love to talk. We love art. Yeah, I mean that to me is the real magic because this project is just basically me. Running around town,、yep. having little interviews in a box, <laughs> and then staying at home and editing—it's—it's it's not that glamorous.、Yeah. But then when I see 
the connections that are made, just mm-hmm. like you and Astrid, then mm-hmm. that's magical for me. So I'm so happy to hear that you're friends. <laughs> I really appreciate that, Octo. And thank you so much for coming back today. Thank you, Oscar.